What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 62. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? What's up, Fortnite gamers? Oh, Welcome God. back to another live stream of Magic the Fortnite Gathering. I hope you brought your chug jugs and your, uh... I'm not gonna lie, that's the only Fortnite item I know. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Okay, I'd like to, to say right now, I do not actually think it's a bad thing. I don't actually think Fortnite in, in Magic is a bad thing. We'll, we'll get to that later. We'll get on a whole soapbox about it. Stick around. <laughs> Yeah, we are actually talking about our Draft Chaff hero this week, but we're going to cap the episode off with a little bit of a, a talk between Ben and I on all the different things that came out with the new Magic 2021 showcase or 2022 showcase or whatever they called it. The stream they did actually today as of our recording, and they announced a bunch of stuff for the 2022 year of Magic, and so we'll talk about all that. Before we get into all of those things, though, of course, we do have our usual housekeeping to take care of. If you're not already in the Discord, check that out. The link is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. It's the best place to go to chat all things MTG with us. Just hang out and, and you know, get to discuss picks and chat about life and other nonsense. We have a bunch of different channels over there for just about everything. So if you're interested in that and hanging out with us a little bit more, definitely check out the Discord. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show directly, uh, the best place to do so is on the Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. This really does keep us doing this week in and week out. Thank you so much to all of our patrons. We really can't thank you enough. We're beyond grateful. And we're actually revamping the Patreon. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now, basically since our anniversary episode. So that was like 10 episodes ago. But we've been really trying to work through these revamps on the Patreon and make sure that we are making it interesting for basically everybody, but also not trying to take anything away from our current patrons and, and making sure that everybody's happy with that. So we have a few updates. We currently have five tiers and... You can get different things such as uh, a shout out on the show, stickers, access to the show notes, uh, uncut episodes with like pre and post show banter. And that's all kind of sticking around. But what we're doing is we're spreading out the sticker. So all levels and subsequent new patrons will get stickers for the show. Uh, some really nice, decent quality, if I do say so myself, draft chaff <laughs> stickers. You'll also get a play set of signed DCH or draft chaff hero cards for all levels. Yeah, but all levels of patron will get signed playset of Draft Draft Hero. And I'd like to say that I think that's going to be especially good for when the Draft Draft Heroes eventually break into standard, which we actually have a very good track record for. Ruin Crab. Season Hallowblade. Our one for today, which shall not be named quite yet, and Professor Symbology have all become four of standard staples. So we're, we're kind of on fire. Svella didn't quite get there, but maybe maybe now that rotation's happening, maybe 2022, maybe there'll be snow in Innistrad to support her. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see about that. But you're not wrong that we do have a decent track record of this. So the idea is we're going to send a playset of signed copies of DCH to all levels, all patrons. And the way this is going to work is we have our current draft chaff hero for whatever the current set is. We have a new draft chaff hero every set. And so what we'll do is at the release of the next set, we'll send out all of those draft chaff heroes for that current cycle. And then we'll go from there. So check out the Patreon if that didn't make any sense. It, the update will be there so you can kind of see what we're talking about. And again, that is at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. So just for clarification, all current patrons are going to get a play set of our draft chaff hero for AFR. And then anyone that joins our Patreon for this set will. And then next set for Innistrad, anyone that joins Patreon during that set will get whatever our draft chaff hero is for that set. And we'll send them out at the end and so on and so forth. Yeah, that about does it. Thank you all to our, our current patrons and any new patrons as well. We really, again, can't thank you all enough for, for the support you've been giving us week in and week out. On to our crack a draft type thing. This week we have a pack one pick one from AFR. So Ben, take it away. Right. Now, I'm going to walk you through what I think may just take the cake as the absolute worst pack of AFR of all time. Now, there have been some pretty bad ones out there. Sometimes you get a pack that's full of plummets and just little nonsense one ones that don't do anything. This, it's a weird one. It has some action, but none of it's good. Uh, let's start it off. There's Great Axe. There's Hill Giant Herd Gorger. Now, let me just pause right there. What if I told you that I've already named the best card in the pack? <laughs> would you believe me? I mean, you know, Gorgeous George is not a creature to scoff at. He, he does close games out. And you know, maybe maybe it's because I haven't played enough AFR lately. You know, I've been on the mythic grind with the, uh, you know, all of the flashback drafts we've gotten lately. So mm. I'm a little skewed as to what power level looks like. But yeah, that sounds disappointing. Especially because it's a six drop. 
Higher drops tend to be replaceable because you only want to play a certain amount of them, and the distribution of them in packs, I don't know, it kind of matches, but you tend to be able to pick up more because other people are drafting lower mana value cards. I don't know. I just never like taking a six drop first pick unless it's a I win the game type of card. And Gorgeous George here is pretty great, but it doesn't just win you the game. Next up is Bullet. You got Jaded Sellsword, Zombie Ogre, Horde Robber, Herald of Hadar, Ginny Windseer, Dwarfhold Champion, Arborea Pegasus. Those are our commons. So other notable commons in here, Zombie Ogre is okay. Again, extremely unexciting the first pick. Ginny Windseer, it's a good rate. It's a pretty good body. It's a pretty good effect, but it's a blue card, and that brings it down so much. I, you just don't want to be playing blue. Well, if you're me, ever. Uh, and then especially in AFR, you just don't really want to be playing blue. On to our uncommons. We've got Demogorgon's Clutches. That's the Mind Rot effect. I think I've cast this once or twice, and it's fine. But, like, you want to be aggressive in this format. Or at least you want to be affecting the board and doing stuff, right? So I tend to play the more aggressive decks. Red-Black is, like, the best deck in the format. I don't think this card is particularly good in Red-Black, because if you're trying to aggro them out, you don't really care how many cards they have when you finish the game, right? It could be 5, could be 10, it could be 0. If you have their life total to 0, it doesn't matter how many cards they had. So you tend to not want Mind Rots the more aggressive decks. This format has some weird stuff, like maybe you try to nab their Hill Giant Herd Gorger or their Earth Cult Elemental out of their hand well, before they have the mana to cast it. But uh, this just isn't a big priority. Next up is Power of Persuasion. It's a sorcery bounce effect. Like, <laughs> this is just not, not a playable card. Uh, if you happen to want to be in the blue dice rolling deck, uh, if you're, you know, very brave, you could take the next card, which is Feywild Trickster. That's the two and a blue for a 2-2 two -two Warlock Gnome. And whenever you roll, you get a 1-1 one -one Flying Dragon, which looks like a good card. You only have to make one of those little 1-1 one -one Flyers before this is good. And if you make any more, it's actively great. But the downside is then you're putting a bunch of dice rolling cards in your deck which haven't proven to be super effective what are you taking out of this pack so far yeah this is this is a bit of a toss-up i i do like trickster in that deck right i mean it obviously doesn't belong in anything other than that deck it, it, it will kind of make that one or two maybe dragons if you happen to have a couple of random dice roll cards and they are sprinkled on a bunch of random cards in the set so i mean trickster is just kind of decent anyway in this format but it does put you in blue which we've already said is not really somewhere you want to be starting your draft. And the dice roll deck by nature is pretty unreliable, right? Like you don't really know if it's going to be amazing. And then you really need a litany of the cards that this deck wants. You need mm -hmm. the uh, Faradays and things of that nature. So you actually are pushing pressure in some way, shape or form. So while it's a card that you need in that deck, if you want that deck to be good, I don't know that you want to first pick it, but I also don't know that you're really likely to get it pass to you so I, I don't really know when you're supposed to take this card i think i would still take it here given that the rest of the pack is just so abysmal uh. and we've talked a lot on the, on the show about how you shouldn't really marry your first pick given that the rest of this deck is awful or the rest of this pack rather is awful like i'm fine to speculate on the trickster here and then if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but like i'm not gonna marry blue or even the dice roll deck with this pick but i think a lot of these other cards are completely replaceable and so i'm not really worried about taking the trickster over any of these cards yeah, I really want multiple Faradays before I feel like I have a good blue-red dice deck. For sure. <laughs> and I, I guess other payoffs like the Trickster help. Still, though, I don't know. It, you're, this is such a narrow card. Like, this is saying I'm going to spend my pack one, pick one on arguably the worst deck in the format. And if I happen to wind up in that deck, then if I pick up a bunch of other stuff, then I have a chance yeah, that's of true. making some one ones. Otherwise, it's just a wind drake. I don't know. I feel like it just get, it gets outclassed by multiple other cards in this pack. Like, on its own rate, isn't Ginny Windseer just a better card? probably probably but i i guess what i'm wondering is and i haven't actually gotten to play the good blue red deck i've tried it once or twice before we realized that that, that deck just wasn't a thing. it exists yeah so i part of me wants to take it just for that reason and like we're nearing the end of the format where i kind of want to do those janky things and see what works and what doesn't mm -hmm. you're probably right that Ginny wins here is just in a vacuum better because it doesn't require any build around or support to be the card that it is whereas the trickster obviously does but I wouldn't be surprised to take the Trickster here and end up wheeling the Windseer, which you love to have the two of those together in the same deck. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like when, when the blue-red deck is open, it's wildly open. Like you're just going to get every card you want in that in that deck, assuming those cards are opened. And taking the Trickster here is going to help keep you in that spot where like you're just going to get flooded with the cards that you would want for the deck. I'm not saying that's necessarily the right thing. 
right? I would like to try it and see where that ends up. But again, I wouldn't marry the pick. If I if I got past a pack that was much better than this and it had a rare or an uncommon or even a common in a much better color and that's much more powerful, I would have just taken that and abandoned the trickster. So you said that you can pretty much reliably pick up the blue and red cards. I think that I want to asterisk that. You can reliably pick up the blue dice rolling cards for sure. But Fair. the red dice rolling cards are, I think, so good on their own because red is, I think, the best color in the format. Think of like the best red dice rolling cards. It's stuff like Goblin Morningstar, Ogre, Hoarder, that thing, um, Swarming Goblins. Like these are cards that every single, like red, white, red, black, they all want these. It doesn't matter. If you're playing red, you'll take those over most of the stuff in the pack. So the blue red deck never even had a chance of getting these dice rolling cards because the other decks that just are playing red, these are just the best cards in that deck, right? Yeah, you're right. And then I think what you set yourself up for potentially is to wind up in blue-green where you have a bunch of like Ginny Windseers and random junk, Hill Giant Herd Gorgers, this kind of late game. I played a deck that was like this. I had like Volo, a few Owlbears, some Knoll Hunters. It felt abysmal. The removal is just so bad. There's, yeah. there's like zero good removal in blue. I don't think, what is it, the Ice Over effect? I don't think that's very good. Uh, Charm Sleep. I don't think it's particularly good. Three mana is a lot to remove something in this format, especially when a lot of the good things that you want to remove are like two. So you really want to be trading mana efficiently on this. I think that's why Dragon's Fire is so good because you can trade it for a two drop and feel like okay with it. I've bolted Hobgoblin Captains and with, with no shame and even trading it for a three drop is fine. And then sometimes you wind up in this big blue green deck that just doesn't do anything. It's just so bad. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, we forgot the rare. Uh, it's Sorcerer class, so we're obviously not taking that. It's the blue-red uh, blue class enchantment. We had to read the card before we started the show. At least I did. I thought it was at least a like, card advantage. It's not. It's like a card filtering thing. I've never cast it. I never will. This is just so anti what I, what I want to be doing in a game of limited. I took the Arborea Pegasus out of this pack. And now I, I think the best card is the Herdgorger. And I think Herdgorger, Pegasus, Zombie Ogre, probably like... Dwarf Hold Champion, Ginny Windseer. I guess the Trickster's up there somewhere, but that deck is just so messy. I took the Pegasus because I was thinking, you know what? I might just force like red white aggro and just to I was just so mad at this pack. I was like, I'm feeling aggressive now. I don't want to ramp. I want to turn things sideways. I'm taking the Pegasus. And I ended up playing green white. I picked up a Trellisara. I got past a Drizz, which was pretty sweet. I came very, very close to trophying with it, but I ended up being a single game short. So maybe I'll I'll toss the final deck list in the Discord because this it, I, I think it was a salvage draft. I did manage to put something together. So it just goes to show if you open up a garbage pack it's not always over for you yeah actually i guess you know one thing we didn't actually talk about here was like what are you potentially wheeling from this pack if you take trickster you maybe get the wins here which i guess is fine if you take pegasus you might get the champion which you would be happy with if you take herd gorger you're maybe getting bullet but like other than that this pack doesn't really have a whole lot going for like any of the real green decks Maybe the sellsword comes back and you're okay with that, I guess. And then I guess if you take Zombie Ogre, like I would, I could see an argument for taking Horde Robber too. I've, I've found that card pretty good in the red black decks, but you know, maybe those are just too hard to put together. I don't hate the Arborea Pegasus pick. I think that's fine. And flyers are hard to deal with in this format. So, yeah. you know, that's also, also quite good. And it keeps you open for those colors. It sounds like you found your seat. So good on you. Yeah, thanks. I ended up wheeling the bullet from this pack, and the deck worked out such that I had a lot of little things that had natural card advantage. I had the uh, the Dwarven Priest, I had an Owlbearer or two, so I was able to happily get my card, trade, and then play bullet main two. Ended up working out pretty well. It was just basically a format of 4-4 four, four with upside in my deck, so the deck ended up pretty okay. <laughs> nice. With that, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is the section of the show where we share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, why don't you uh, take it away with your Teferi Tibble? Sure. So Teferi, I'm actually coming in hot with some news from Standard, not current Standard. Standard 2022, of course, uh, Eldraine Block Constructed is just getting on everyone's nerves at this point. Can't wait for it to be over. But Standard 2022 is, it's interesting. People are messing around trying to find the best versions of decks. It looks like some flavor of control is going to be good. Some flavor of mono green and mono red and mono white are good, which is always signs of a pretty good format. There's some kind of treasure deck, whether black, red, or Jund is the right build. Uh, no one knows yet. I've seen some like Jeskai dragons. Uh, I've seen some just straight blue, red dragons. There's a, it's a wide open format. There's a lot of really cool stuff. However, the thing that made me absolutely love this format is Bant 
party. It is just such an absurd looking deck list. I, I saw the deck list and those that know untapped, it, it sometimes will show the deck list in the form of like, it'll show a little picture of the cards art. And I was looking through the deck list. It didn't have the names. I was looking through the deck list just at the arts in like a Twitter preview or something. And I didn't recognize all the arts. I was like, what, what are these cards? Are these standard legal? What's going on here? Turns out it's playing four bears of Lit Yara, the, the blue-green rare from Kaldheim. And I was like, wait a minute. This is this is something cool. What's what's happening here? It is a three-color party deck playing just party stuff. It's playing Linvala and Squad Commander and Shapeshifters to help get the party stuff going. It's a really cool deck. It has card advantage. It has grindy late game. I highly recommend trying it. I, I blazed through like multiple levels uh, in, in standard 2022 with it. <laughs> Although I guess the rank reset just happened. So I don't know why I bothered with that. Speaking of which, unless I dropped around 600 levels in, a, in a two hours, I made the top 1200. So midnight sealed. Uh, maybe I'll try to stream that. Uh, the Midnight Hunt sealed thing. That, that that could be fun. I should have a desk by then, <laughs> which is my tibble. I, I still do not have one of those. Um, Although we were talking about for the show, sounds like I got some good tips. I think I, I'm due for an Ikea run. Another quick tibble, Historic Brawl is apparently here to stay, which will be cool. I've been really enjoying playing dinosaurs <laughs> just because it's fun. However, I don't know if there's like a matchmaking system. I have played against so many Golos decks and Oswald decks and Narset decks. It's like, come on. Like, I get it. Seriously. All right. If it's fun for you to play Golos in Historic Brawl, good for you. However, I'm begging you to try something fun. <laughs> like, like build pirates or like build minotaurs or anything else. I saw someone playing like Brokos Apex of Forever. Like, that was cool. Just do something that isn't Golos. Like, we've been there. We've done that. That's actually interesting. I haven't touched Historic Brawl or Brawl at all for that matter, but I might try to get, I was looking at, and I, I think it's on, oh, it actually might not be. I, I can't remember what set that card was was originally printed in, but uh, the green dinosaur or like elder dinosaur that, that does like storm thing, basically. It's like, it cares about instants and sorceries or maybe, no, it's teamer. It might be a teamer dinosaur. I can't remember what set it was printed in though, but I really wanted to make that card in EDH. So if it's available in Brawl, maybe I'll give that a go. But I think there is a form of, like, they almost try to rule zero you with, like, the matchmaking. I'm pretty sure they do try to match you with a comparably powered, you know, commander or whatever. So you, that might be uh, why you're facing that. But I was playing dinosaurs. <laughs> I guess I should take the compliment. I must have played, like, five Oswald decks in a row, which admittedly is a really cool deck. It's like mono white storm. So, all right, kind of cool. But I, I guess, like, the fifth or sixth time I was like, oh, I just have to start playing more removal, don't I? Nice. So for me, my Teferi is that I'm in DC this week for work. I have, you know, I work for a, in, like a remote only company, which I started working at in January. So I haven't actually physically met any of my coworkers. So this will be really fun. It's like an all hands thing for a few days in, in DC. So really excited for that. My Tybalt this week is, well, I mentioned last week that I was trying to hit Mythic and this is like the first time I've ever actually attempted to push for Mythic. And this was a very interesting little experiment for me because I've noticed a lot of the time I will hit plat four and then just not break out of plat four. And I don't know it's because I've not tried to break out of it or because my win rate tanks at that time. I, I never really knew what it was, but I would almost consistently always be plat four every season. Well, this season I had the mindset of I'm going to hit Mythic and I cruised right out of plat four. I went up through plat one and then I started to race the clock. And I was looking at it, I had a, I was sitting right at around a 59 to 60% win rate, depending on the day and, and that sort of thing. So I was right around 50, 60, 59, 60%, which good. is, which is good enough to make mythic. Like you can, you can pretty reliably hit mythic with that given enough time or enough drafts or whatever. So I was like, okay, I can do this. Like my win rate is showing that I can over more than a, like I was like almost 20 drafts in with that win rate. So it was, it was a sustainable thing. I was, it wasn't just like a peak over a few drafts. I was like, I can do this. And then I got to plat one with one tick to go and I was like I'm just about to break into diamond and I hit a slide of awful drafts and I went right Ooh. down to die to plat two with one tick to go and that was two days ago and I was like there's no way I'm breaking through all the way through diamond at this point uh, so I just stopped trying two days ago it was dang. unfortunate but you know I think there's something to be said about calling it quits when you realize like the goal that you're reaching for isn't quite there and I would have been basically wasting a ton of time knowing that I wouldn't be making it you know so I decided to recoup that that time that I hadn't actually lost yet, but it was a nice push. I mean, it made me realize I, I actually can draft well because my drafts, my, my actual draft win rate has been sitting just under 50% since basically ZNR. And so 
it was a nice little confidence booster to be like, oh yeah, you actually can play this game. And I don't know if it was, like I said, I don't know if the drop in my win rate was because I've been focusing more on like content and like other stuff than actually playing the game. But it's nice to, to get that little boost and be like, oh yeah, I, I can I can actually tough it out with, with the big boys, I guess. I would say that if this wasn't a weird month ending, you know, before the 30th or 31st or end of the month or whatever, I think you easily could have cruised through if you had an extra week. Yeah, that's probably true. Like I, that was really what it came down to was... You know, I, I got to that point where I was just about to break into Diamond, lost a few games, and then was, was like netting one uptick a, a draft. And I was like, yeah, I just don't have the time to put in. I basically was going to have to play limited for 48 hours straight and not do anything else and, you know, take days off of work and stuff. And it's just <laughs> not really something I was going to be able to make it work. Yeah, there's always next month. That, that's the cool thing about these you know, monthly tournaments. Yep. All right. With that, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Rob Dies at the End, and this is actually a follow-up to last week's question. The question last week, just to bring anybody up to speed who wasn't able to catch last week's episode, was that basically you're, you're entering a tournament that you bring a deck that you drafted at some point in your history of drafting decks. Rob asked what deck we were bringing to that draft. The follow-up to that question is that they've changed the rules for this tournament, so they pick a random deck that you've drafted, but you get to pick the set. So the tournament orga- organizers pick the deck, but you get to pick the set. What set are you going for, and does your answer change if bot drafts are excluded? Which is interesting, because a lot of people have, been, have drafted Ooh. bots over the last few years. So Right, so if we're including bot drafts, and I'm just being told we're going to pick a random one of your decks from this format, and you're going to play it in the tournament, I would definitely go ZNR. I loved ZNR. I played a lot of quick draft ZNR, and I drafted a lot of aggressive red-black party decks, and they were all pretty great. Um, honestly, any deck with Grotag Bugcatcher in it, I'm very happy to be, to be playing <laughs> Grotag Bugcatcher and the three mana, like Electromancer that adds red mana for your party. Oh man, those are cards. So I would probably go ZNR. Now, if bot drafting is excluded, it gets more interesting. I could cheat the system a little bit here and I'd say Chaos Draft would be my format because I've only done two Chaos Drafts in my life, and one of them had a Liliana the Veil in it, and it busted black-green deck. So I, I think I'd go 50-50 on getting the Lily deck. That's fair. I mean, that's, that's a good way to hedge, you know, like try to maximize your win percentage as much as you can before they actually select. You know what? I just remember the other deck that I played, it was a red-green deck. It was historic-themed. There were like Dominaria packs in that one too, in the Chaos Draft. But I played the Weatherlight, which if you remember from Dominaria, it wasn't very good and limited because it was a vehicle that you crewed it. And I think when it attacked or dealt damage, you would try to get like a historic card out of the top like six or something. I actually had enough targets. I had like a Thrun the Last Troll and like a another like legendary and a bunch of artifacts in that deck. That was a cool one. So I'm actually slamming Chaos Draft here because I'm getting a mythic, you know, <laughs> no matter what. It's a good way to win tournaments. I think for me, with bot drafts included, I'd probably go ZNR as well. Despite my, like, overall win rate being pretty garbage, my my win rate for that format was actually quite good. I'm also tempted to say M21, because I had some pretty bonkers white-green decks in that format, but I don't know how they'd fare against other formats, right? Because that that format was pretty unique in that, like, aggro was a thing you really needed to be doing. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I might take one of those decks and then run it into something awful. I suppose it's also possible that they just pick, like the tournament organizers just pick the worst deck that I drafted in that format, which also kind of makes me want to pick a, a format that I haven't done too many drafts in. But yeah. I think if you exclude the bots, maybe Kaldheim, because I really like to draft the black-white decks in that format and almost nobody else did, and I was able to put some pretty awesome ones together at different times. I could also see potentially doing Strixhaven because I had a couple of really awesome Strixhaven decks that performed poorly for me, but the deck themselves were very good, and so it might be nice to get another stab at those, but I think that's about where I would be. Or actually, you know what? To kind of go with your Chaos Draft thing, I think I might actually do Ikoria because recently I've had some really ridiculous Ikoria drafts but i've only done like maybe four or five of them total so there's a high chance that i actually get one or two decks that i actually really liked from that format so yeah one of them you actually helped me draft and it was pretty ridiculous but i i went four three with it look i don't know if if we could blame the card quality on that one that's all i'll say definitely not (laughs) there were a couple games where you know as per usual fashion i flooded out or something and just didn't draw answers when i needed them and that kind of stuff typical variance stuff with magic and i misplayed a few games as well but that deck was pretty bonkers oh no i was talking about variants i was talking about variants not card quality that's that's all i was saying (laughs) that, that was a cool deck though i'm sure it was anyway why don't we get into our draft chaff hero for today 
Should, should we do a drum roll sound effect? I we don't we don't do sound effects. So Zach is putting in a drum roll sound effect right here. They're gonna be so disappointed when it's not there. Oh, it's gonna be there. So we have Battle Cry Goblin. Yay! Hooray! Uh, we actually had a few front runners for this uh, for Draft Chat Hero for this set. I was pushing for Tiger Tribe Hunter for a little while. Magic Missile is also one that was up there. Notably, all red uncommons. However, Battlecry Goblin, uh, it just it just took it here. So the card itself, for those that don't know, or maybe need a little reminder, we've been drafting a lot of other formats in the last few weeks. Battlecry Goblin is one in a red for a 2-2 goblin at uncommon. It costs one in a red to cast. It has one in a red. Goblins you control get plus one, plus zero, and gain haste until end of turn. And then it has pack tactics. Whenever Battlecry Goblin attacks... If you attack with creatures with total power 6 or greater this combat, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. Whew. A lot of text for a 2-drop, right? Yeah, and it's a 2-drop that's on rate, too. It's not even like a 0-1-2-drop a zero, or something. Like It's a 2-mana two 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> yeah, this is just a good body. It's, it's a grizzly bear. You're going to play these sometimes with no text. This one it has a wall of text. You'll definitely play it. So notably, Goblins is a sub-theme in this format. So th this little pump ability that only affects Goblins. You've got Hobgoblin Bandit Lord, the, the Captain, Stormwind Goblins, Goblin Morningstar, Den of the Bugbear. You see a pair of Goblins. And of course, the, uh, the Goblin token that you can make off the, the Fandelver. So the pump ability itself, it's a solid threat really at any point in the game. It especially allows it to trade up when you can activate it. So, for example, you might not block a 4-3 a onto this little guy if you don't happen to want to trade your 4-drop for this little 2-drop and 2 of their mana. However, it also has a secret mode of turning this card into a 4-drop or a 6-drop or sometimes other places in between, depending on how your efficient mana use goes. But the way I'm picturing this is you play this on turn 6, pump it twice, and then attack with this and like the 2-2 two -two that you had you know, laying around. And then all of a sudden, you've got a whole board swinging in where before you had nothing. So this is like a 2-drop that sometimes you actively want to see in the late game, which is pretty bizarre and, and pretty unique. Yeah, that's not something you usually see, and that's something you really like in your two drops, right? You want them to be good early and late. Like, that's just that's just what you want basically all of your cards to be. And when your two drop can come out on two and then also just either ride out the game so it's good after it's already been on the battlefield for a while, it's still good in the late game. You know, sometimes we see cards like this that are, like, decent early but get better if you can cast them later in the game because of some ETB trigger or something. This just is good as long as it's on the battlefield. It's good when you draw it late. The effect, because it gives it haste, like you said, lets it swing itself in on top of whatever else. You know, imagine a turn where you go turn five swarming goblins, make two other goblins, turn six battlecry goblin, swing with everything, pump everything, plus two plus so. Like, that's, that's a massive swing, especially for a deck that might already be going aggressive. Like, maybe swarming goblins is your top end, and you're just using battlecry goblin to push those last few points of damage. Like, just a fantastic card. Very versatile. Fits into basically every single red deck in the format. Doesn't matter if you have almost any other ways to make goblins. Of course, the more goblins you can make, the better it gets. But it really is fine to just pump itself and be, you know, maybe doing, like, creating its own uh, goblins as well, so. Another thing to remember, this is a two drop. This is a two mana two two. It's basically impossible for this to trade down. I think shambling ghast is is that the only only way of losing mana uh, on on uh, card trading on this? Like if you pump your whole team. So for example, if you swing with this, it makes a one one and a few other things, and they block like a like a three two on it. You're pretty happy, even though you're losing your I guess you know board pumping all star. You're trading your two drop for their three drop, or maybe they block like a four four on it, and you pump twice. Well, then you traded a bunch of mana, but you still traded your two drop for their four drop. That's still pretty great. I think this card also has a secret ability that people don't talk about enough. If you're able to swing in and get pack tactics before pumping, you can get the token that's attacking and then pump. So sometimes you make a 2-1 attacking token. Sometimes you can make a 3-1 attacking token. My favorite trick is if you're one point shy, you can pump, swing in, and then pump again to make sure that you don't kind of waste that extra one point of power on the token had you put it on the battle card goblin instead by pumping twice before combat. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a sweet line. So let's kind of break down some archetypes real quick, because obviously this is a red card. It doesn't fit in literally every archetype, but it does fit in quite a few. Of course, red is the best color in the set. I don't think that's really up for debate at this point. Like, there are just way too many good cards in red. And given, you know, the red-black menace, I think that also helps swing red in in a positive light but this card can be fought over a bit it's an uncommon so already it's kind of 
looking to be picked higher than most cards and given that it's an uncommon one of the best if not the best and i mean we're basically claiming here that it's the best uncommon as the draft shaft hero but it's an amazing uncommon in the best color and you're not likely to open very many of them people are going to be taking these basically whenever they see them and so you're going to want to take these highly they are going to be fought over red black tends to make the best use of it with red black being an incredibly diverse aggro deck sometimes rampy sometimes tokeny can also be beat down it just has a ton of range so red black really makes use of a card that also has a lot of range like this tends to play a lot of swarming goblins so you're getting extra value off the goblins occasionally the red black deck will play the morning stars or the goblin javelinier so you're getting extra value off those goblins it also has the ability to venture to make the token which frankly most decks can do but uh, red black is relatively reliable at it it's also a natural home for the bandit lord if, if you can actually get a, a hold of that it can support the goblin subtype the strongest amongst all the other archetypes that we're going to mention here, so that's kind of why it takes the cake as the best home for the Battlecry Goblin. But it does also enable that range, like it builds off of that versatility of the card at better than a lot of these other archetypes as well. So red-green is the pack tactics deck, and it has some ways of maximizing this guy. You know, you got Targnar curving it into a circle, the Moon Druid, to get that early token. It sometimes has creatures capable of turning on pack tactics entirely by themselves. Owlbear, Hilldrant Herdgorger, sometimes even the Tiger Tribe Hunter. These, along with the Battlecry Goblin, just get you pack tactics right off the bat. But again, you're dealing with the problem of fighting over red cards, as tends to be the problem in this format. Red-white also has some of the same problems, but sometimes it goes in a little bit of a different direction. Red-white has some other premier 2 drops, especially in white. You've got the 2-2 lifelink or the 3-1 dwarfhold champion. Uh, so it doesn't really need to fight over this as much as other decks do, but if it can get a hold of a Battlecry Goblin, it's more than happy to play it. The token that it makes wears equipment pretty well, and you don't mind putting it on the Battlecry Goblin itself to give it pack tactics. So I guess it's kind of like a secondary plan in red-white in case your, your Brunors fail. Yeah, and then our last archetype here is red-blue which is basically a non-existent deck. I mean, it's there occasionally. And on the one hand, if you have Battlecry Goblin in your red-blue deck, it's probably your best card. But on the other hand, it doesn't actually do anything the red-blue deck actually wants to do, so it's probably one of your worst cards as well. It's a little bit weird that way. It's, it's probably your best card in a vacuum, but if you have all the other good red-blue cards going for you, you know, a couple of Feywild Tricksters, a couple of Faradays, you probably are not necessarily uh, looking at Battlecry Goblin as your best card. It's certainly not getting cut, but, you know, it kind of weirdly falls into that range where blue-red is just isn't all that concise. Can you imagine you're playing blue-red and then you're really looking for two drops? It's like pack three. You have your Faradays, you have your other stuff, you're desperately looking for two drops. You have like a Delina Wild Mage and everything. And then you get a, a, a pack with, what is it, Pixie Guide, the 2-mana 3-1, or 2-mana 1-3. Sorry, 2-mana 3-1 would be awesome. <laughs> that might fix the deck. The 2-mana 1-3 flyer. You get a pack with Pixie Guide and Battlecry Goblin. You're supposed to take the Pixie Guide. How, yeah, that's yeah. why you don't play blue-red. It, it just feels so awful. And then that's enough about the old Battlecry Goblin. I, I think it's going to see play in standard 2022. Uh, I, I think Goblins will probably be supported. I don't think it's going to get a lot of help from Innistrad. Goblins, <laughs> not one of the most prominent tribes of, of Innistrad. There's goblins in Kamigawa, right? I think. I don't know, but the way that this is look like Kamigawa is looking to, and we're going to get into more of this in just a little bit, but I don't actually expect to see very many of them show up there. There probably will be some, but I don't expect to see very many. We're probably going to see a handful of them in New Capenna because mm. it just kind of fits that sort of sub-theme. And then we'll maybe see some in Dominaria and the Brothers War, but I don't really expect to see too much Goblin support in the next few sets standard-wise. Yeah, I guess the next two. I, I don't know. Hold on to your play sets of Battlecry Goblins if you want one, just to become a patron. So <laughs> hold on to your play sets of Battlecry Goblins. I have a feeling that these are going to go up in value at some point. Not not trying to not trying to MTG finance here. I just think that they're going to see play. Like this is a really good card. It's a two two that makes more like little tokens. What else does goblins want? Yeah, I mean it could find a home in like a mono red deck. It might not even care about the goblin sub theme. Like in a in a mono red aggro deck, you know, I could see that finding a home. <laughs> mono red has certainly played worse cards recently. <laughs> Speaking of the future, why don't we talk about the live stream that happened today? So it was the showcase stream I, I didn't watch it live i was at the dentist <laughs> i watched the replay as soon as i got back i i texted you as soon as i got out and i was like hey dude i missed the stream what's up and uh zach responded something like oh man it was a lot just go watch it <laughs> 
Yeah, basically. So we got a whole bunch of different stuff. We're going to kind of walk through each of the new sort of announcements, our two cents on on them, and uh, then we'll wrap up the show. Right. So I took some notes on the things that really stuck out to me. So, for example, the uh, Magic Pin Collection. I knew you were going to talk about that. (laughs) Oh, I'm talking about how we're not going to talk about that. It was like AR enabled pins. Dude, I thought you loved pins. Wasn't that like a whole thing for you for a while? I do love pins, but honestly, these ones look kind of big. I like putting them on things and then not having them fall off. But the big pins, they just pop right off. One of those, it was like a magic card that was a pin. It's obviously probably not full size card, but like. Yeah, they also said that like with the AR thing, the idea is that like you can scan them or something and get digital content as well. But I don't know. I didn't actually get maybe you you paid more attention to it because I don't particularly care about pins, but. I didn't really get an idea of or an understanding of what the what the size of the actual pins are from the preview they showed. But I thought you were going to be all over it. I'll be honest. I just didn't care for any of the designs particularly. If they ever put like a Deros pin or something, <laughs> I don't know. I, I could see this being really cool in the future. This one in particular seemed more like a, a collector's thing. Also, it's like a pin subscription service. No, no, no. I said I didn't want to talk about this. Let, let's move on to something else. So the store championship is coming back. That's cool. That's a good thing. I think everyone will be happy about that. It's the closest thing we got to an organized play announcement. <laughs> I don't know. Store championships are a lot of fun. For those that don't know, local game stores get to pick uh, the format. So they get to pick whether it's like standard or modern or limited, which a lot of stores do. And uh, if you win the store championship, sometimes you get really cool stuff. The top eight usually get cool perks. Uh, I think everyone that participates in this one gets Arbor Elf. Yeah, so so anybody who goes to the store championship gets the Arbor Elf promo. The top eight gets a promo copy of Collected Company. And then the winner of the store championship gets a promo Worm Coil engine, which is pretty dope. We haven't seen a Worm Coil engine pseudo reprint, which I guess this kind of is in a while. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat. And they have the store name, like foil stamped on those. So yeah, those that's new, really isn't it? Exclusive. Yeah, that, that's super exclusive. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could trade those, but why would you? That That's that's kind of like a unique little trophy. You could frame that. Yeah, yeah. It, I thought that was a really cool idea. And I wonder what the allotment is for that. I guess there's only one championship per store, though, right? So they only really need the one copy of yeah. Worm Coil. And then, you know, like the... I didn't actually catch if all of the promos are stamped or if it's just the Worm Coil one. Hmm. But I'll have I to go check know. that out. But, I mean, either way, it's re- that's a really cool little piece of memorabilia i probably wouldn't even play any of the cards that i won even if it was a card i wanted to play just because it had the store stamp on it i'd probably just like you said frame it or something well i might have said the same thing once but then i won a store championship and i got that sweet promo champion playmat if you get that that playmat that just says champion across it in huge text don't lie you, you bring oh, no, that no. to every single event ever don't right? get me wrong the playmat i'm bringing i'm talking about the card like the the promo with like the <laughs> store stamp on it i don't know maybe maybe i would still play it i don't know it sounds like a cool thing to just keep on like the wall or something and be like yeah look at this thing yeah but it's a pretty sweet gameplay flex that's true if my opponent like casts a worm coil engine and i look at it i'm like oh can i see that for a second and i read it i'm like oh oh they won a store championship and got this thing it's just a little bit of clout it's a little flex i love that part of in-person magic you're totally right i am now going to endeavor to win a store championship at as many stores as i can so i can build an entire deck out of only <laughs> store championship promos yeah it's uh 40 worm coil engines and 20 black lotuses there you go <laughs> just, just like garfield intended so kind of moving along in chronological order through the uh, live stream, the other thing they mentioned was the commander parties. So it was a bit of a strange and cryptic announcement, but it sounds like there's going to be some sort of story-driven group winning, not focused or not emphasized commander variant. It's going to be some sort of store event where they'll have these commander parties. You go and presumably it sounds a lot like a D&D campaign, except involving your commander deck. I think this is awesome. Shout out to the folks over at Wayfarer. <laughs> They're already kind of doing this. So uh, I don't know how that's going to overlap, but I'll, I don't know. I'll, I'll let Wayfarer handle that one. Uh, but uh, honestly, I think it's a pretty sweet direction to take Commander, especially because it's definitely the most popular format of Magic at this point. Yeah. Okay. So moving on from that, we have Double Feature, which is uh, basically what they're doing with the Innistrad 
quote unquote block. You know, Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow are the next two sets coming out. They're both Innistrad sets. They didn't actually announce the exact timing for this, but sometime during 2022, they're going to bring back Innistrad as a block draft format. So you'll draft packs from both Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow, which is basically what they used to do a, long, a few years ago was like, that was how you drafted it. They, they released sets in blocks. And then you drafted, you know, maybe one pack from the, the first set in the block and then two packs from the latter set in the block. Really depended on when they did this. They used to do three set blocks, then they did two set blocks, and now they don't do blocks at all. But basically, they're bringing this back for Innistrad as a separate sort of draft environment than just Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow. So we'll still draft each of those sets individually, but then they're going to bring them back with this double feature thing. And the idea is to sort of focus on those old-timey horror movies and try to incorporate that into how they're handling the block format. So they are going to have new, like, promo sort of finishes on the cards different frames and things like that so sounds kind of cool i'm interested to see when they actually drop this because timing wise it might be weird but sounds cool there certainly will not be lack of magic in the next year we're not going to be clamoring for things to do next up commander collection black wow dude way to just skip over like the coolest one Oh, 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 oops, oops. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I may have jumped a bullet there. The limited draft opened. They, they solved it somehow. There was this whole big kerfuffle where everyone was wondering how they're going to manage. Like, the sealed works. The sealed, you just, you know, pair people against each other. But with draft, there's a lot of problems. What happens if someone DCs while you're drafting? What happens if there's the wrong number of players trying to enter? What happens if, like, you sit in a draft queue with six people and uh, you never fire and you paid entry for that? Who knows how all that is going to get sorted out? <laughs> they must have gotten something going. But it sounds like it's not happening for a little while. Just having them say that it's happening is a pretty good sign. I'm definitely going to be com competing in them. Oh, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. I'm sure most of our listeners will be, or at least some of them will be, and yeah. we'll be definitely excited to talk about that in the Discord as well. Uh, anyway, Commander Collection Black. <laughs> I didn't buy the green one, to be honest. Just none of the cards I needed. I already have a lot of green Commander decks. In fact, virtually all of my Commander decks are green, now that I think of it. Except Bruna, huh. I guess. Yeah. And don't you have an Edgar Mar Markov deck as well? Yeah, Bruna and Edgar, and I think every other deck is green. Nice. Yeah, so I don't really need too many of the green staples. I'm already pretty loaded on those. But black, um, it's got some pretty good chase cards. It's got a Lily Heretical Healer. I think it was a Reanimate or something in there. Mm -hmm. So cool. Good stuff. I think it was expensive last time. I remember thinking the price wasn't quite worth it. I'll see if this one's any better. I think Lily is like a $25 card, though. So that's got to take a good chunk out of it. Yeah. Uh, are you going to get it? I don't know. I do tend to play black in my commander decks. And I was thinking about putting together a zombies deck for a long time. I think I mentioned mm -hmm. at some point on the show a while back that I have this like pseudo goal for myself to build a monocolored deck for every color and have it be themed around something specific. So black I was planning is probably going to be zombies. It's not exactly exactly unique but i might try to do something different with it to make it unique and i mean both liliana and they have a ghoul color gisa in that commander collection as well so uh, maybe maybe we'll have to look and see how how expensive it actually ends up being but next up is that pioneers getting a little bit of a boost which is kind of interesting because i feel like they kind of ignored that format for a while like they announced it it was kind of popular then the pandemic hit and then they just stopped caring about it they pushed back pioneer on an arena so it just seems like it's not that big of a priority but they are releasing four challenger decks for pioneer of I guess staple decks I don't I haven't followed pioneer at all so I have no idea if these are actually decks that are competitive or not but one of them is Azorius spirits so I was pretty happy about that and then they have a lotus field combo a mono red aggro deck and there's one other that I'm forgetting at the moment but if you're interested in getting into pioneer these seem like a great starting point and somewhere to like you know get a deck and then kind of build on it to to make it actually competitive they seem decent the deck lists are public now so if you are interested in that you can definitely check out what happens to come in the deck that you're looking at but seems pretty cool i'm looking up real quick what is lotus field combo i usually have a pretty good like read on the top decks of most formats i consider myself pretty informed i d i don't know what this is <laughs> like it's some sort of lotus field i think the front art of it was vizier of endless sands which is an untapper when you cycle it so is it some sort of like you play a lotus field which it, it taps you sack two lands but then it taps for three so you like do a tap untap is it like an infinite blue mana thing yeah i think there used to be a combo with lotus field that people were using to basically stop it from sacking lands as well is it like a, is it a twiddle deck where you, you play like tw twiddles like one blue 
you can it's an instant tap or untap a creature or land or something like that is is this like a twiddle storm deck in pioneer i i must have missed this the rise of this one entirely i just googled it it looks like it involves lotus field hidden strings oh yeah hidden strings is like a twiddle two mana tap or untap target permanent and it has cypher uh never mind and and then omniscience and it plays arborea grazers Fay of Wishes, Vizier of Tumbling Sands, Omniscience, Dig Through Time, Pour Over the Pages, Growth Spiral, Once Upon a Time. Oh, sounds like my kind of deck. <laughs> How does this deck win? It has Emrakuls in the sideboard, but you can only Fay of Wishes for non-creatures. So what's the win con? Is it, there's a single Ugin in the sideboard. There's a, oh, there's a Jace Wielder of Mysteries in the go. sideboard. All right, it's a Jace, it's a, it's like a, it's a. This Thassador sounds like my kind of deck. Thing. I'm okay, excited about this might have to pick up that that challenger i'm immediately disinterested i don't want anything to do with it so you have fun with that we're getting a new commander legends we had a lot of fun with commander legends we did a, a cool little discord battle <laughs> which was a, a good time we did like a sealed league uh, of sorts for that where we opened some product and got opened some stuff built little commander legends decks and did it didn't get to draft it sadly that was uh, right about peak pandemic time Hopefully this one actually gets its day in the sun. This one's D&D themed. So D&D Commander, that's pretty cool. I think it's themed after mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate, which people seem to really like for some reason. Well, it was a really popular video game series as well. Uh, like It was like one of oh. the first, like the original Baldur's Gate was one of the first really strong RPG games where you can like build your own character and man, it was, you know, like KOTOR where you have like all the different points that you're putting into your character and stuff it was like the og oh, it was like the og rpg game like that yeah that was sweet i must have missed that one i was probably busy playing portal or something anyway let's see D double masters double masters is also happening double masters 2022 i don't know if it has an official name yet or if they're just calling it that but that was a bit of a flop as far as master sets go however i do like the direction that this is going in just reprints it's it's a master set it's going to be full of reprints Hopefully yeah. they're good ones. They did mention, I'm and I'm throwing this in here because I didn't see it anywhere else on the list, and it kind of fits in with these random sets. They also mentioned that a new jumpstart is coming next year, sometime in, I think they said in the first half or in Q2 or something like that, and it involves Eldrazi. There are 46 different themes, they said, but there is an Eldrazi theme, so kind of interested Ugh. in that, see what kind of reprints we might get out of that. Ugh. But uh, yeah, so new jumpstart is coming next year as well. Wait, wait, wait. So let me get this straight. There's four full sets coming next year and then three or four supplemental full so it sets seems. plus jumpstart plus some other stuff that we're going to talk about i guess we won't be out for lack of content right <laughs> right anyway moving on there's a new unset coming and this this is going to be uh, this is a good one so mark rosewater teleported onto the stage or whatever <laughs> and that guy he's great so um it's let me see if i got this right it was like outer space carnival wacky i'm already out of buzzwords what else was it no that was basically yeah i mean it, he took like all the tropes from like carnivals and state fairs and things like that mixed it with outer space and yeah i mean like that that's kind of it carnivals in space and it sounds like it's gonna be ridiculous they said in mark rosewater's words there will be new quote-unquote spacic lands which sounds fun i guess uh i don't know what that exactly means now, it's kind of interesting because they have been trying to make this push more recently into sci-fi meets magic, right? We've heard a lot about it. They announced the Universes Beyond sort of thing with Warhammer 40,000, which is very sci-fi, but also an awesome property. They, they gave us new information on that too, which is basically just going to be four commander decks that are all themed Warhammer 40,000. Not sure exactly what that means. Like, they didn't say whether the cards... I know they made a, a, an article about it at some point, but they didn't say in this announcement whether all the cards in that set are reprints or if there are new cards that are going to have Warhammer 40k skins that are also going to get reprints later. I think they mentioned in the article a while ago that all of these like Universes Beyond cards will have real quote-unquote MTG alterations of them later. Like they'll they'll reprint right. the cards in, in right. more MTG IP kind of setting. But um, So we're going to get four commander decks out of that and that's it. And then I think maybe some secret layers or something. And then, yeah, the unset's going to be cool. They're going to be really wacky stuff. The art looks pretty fantastic so far. And Space Lands sound fun. So I'm sure Ben's going to pick up a place out of those for his draft kit. But uh, I'm sorry. I think you mean Spacic Lands. Yeah, not sorry. Space Lands. And Space Shock Lands, too. They, they oh, dropped yeah. that in there just kind of casually. But that didn't get enough attention. That That's pretty sweet. Shock Land reprint. 
that's always a good thing. Yeah, and of course, unsets are just a blast. That there's so much fun. We haven't really gotten one like that we get, they're able to interact with super well. We got a little pandemic over with the last one. Hopefully this one we don't, but I guess we'll see. So I think you kind of segued us into it. Time to talk intellectual properties. So we've got Lord of the Rings Commander decks, a secret layer, and you're going to be able to play it on Arena, apparently? It's an entire set. There's a full Lord of the Rings set. But plus Commander not... decks, plus secret layers. Uh -huh. And it's modern legal. So is it a standard set? No, it won't be standard legal. It will be modern legal. So it's going to be another supplemental set that we will get next year. Uh, actually, 2023 was the release year for, for Lord of the Rings. But it will be a an entire set. It's not just like a supplemental product. It's going to be a full set. So think upwards of 300 cards. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a modern Masters uh, or like a modern Horizons. My problem with this is that I, honestly, my biggest problem about the all this like new IP stuff going in is that it just increases the complexity of, of formats and understanding. Like there, there is a, a point at which you start to break people's minds a little bit. Like where, where are these legal? And so this one has a copy of the card that you can play in some formats, but you can't play this one in other formats. But these commander cards are all vintage legal anyway, so it never really mattered. That's starting to hurt my head a little bit. However, I'm 100% down for the Lord of the Rings crossover. And I, I do want to shout out, I think if you are 100% down for the Lord of the Rings crossovers, you also have to be 100% down for the other crossovers that you might not be as big a fan of because otherwise you just start to sound like a hypocrite. I will say I'm less enthused about Fortnite and even to some extent Warhammer and, and some of these other things. What was the other one they mentioned today? There was another thing that they said too, right? Uh, there are two. Street Fighter was another one that's coming. And then, uh, yeah, the Fortnite one was the other new one. Yeah, so honestly, out of all of these, probably the most excited for the Lord of the Rings. I mean, can, Zach can see on camera what I what I have literally right next to me, next to my computer. Uh, it, it's a copy of Fellowship of the Ring. But that'll be cool. The other ones I probably won't engage with as much. I don't know. I, I At first, when we first started getting all this IP stuff with like The Walking Dead, that one bothered me a little bit because it was so sudden. But the more I started to think about it, the more I realized we should stop framing this as stuff invading magic and like stuff like, I don't know, tainting the brand of magic and start looking at it as magic is tainting the brands of other things. Magic, it's going to take over the world. It, it's involving Lord of the Rings, Fortnite. There's going to be like a Taco Bell one at some point, I'm sure, given their social media trend. So I am no longer uh, in like the, the down with it camp. I will admit that I'd like to keep, you know, a core functionality game pretty efficient. I don't really want to have to draft, you know, things that I don't understand or that aren't, you know, super magic-y IPs. I don't think we'll ever have to. It sounds like they've been pretty smart about keeping their directions on that. They're always going to have like these core release sets that are always quote unquote normal magic. Uh, even when they branch out and they make like a weird Kamigawa 2049 type thing, it sounds like it's still gonna be like the main core stuff, whether or not you like it or not. As for all this other stuff, if the Fortnite set gets a whole bunch of 10 year olds to start playing magic, cool, I I'm okay with it. And here's the thing too, they're being selective about how they're printing this stuff. So. Again, the Warhammer 40k thing is just four commander decks. They're not making a whole set. They're just releasing four pre-constructed commander decks, and that's it as far as we know right now. For Fortnite, I think it was even less than that. It was just like a, like secret, a secret layer, layer. Yeah. of cards that already exist. They're just getting Fortnite art. They're not even new cards. Mm -hmm. Just just different art. That kind of stuff, I'm totally okay with. If you don't want Fortnite cards in your Magic decks, don't buy the cards that have that art on them. The reason yeah. The Walking Dead was so egregious, in my opinion, was that they were cards that were legal in constructed formats that had no other printings. So if you wanted to play, they were mechanically unique cards mm -hmm. that were legal in real formats that had no other access, and they were only printed in a secret layer, which meant once they were in the secondary market, they were very expensive. And if they saw any real play in those decks, you had to play The Walking Dead versions of those cards because there are no right. other cards that exist that do the same things that those cards do. So is it possible to be mad about that and also excited about the Lord of the Rings set, which it sounds like is functionally the same problem, right? Like, uh, unless they make an entire clone set that's just, like, Upper Earth instead of Middle Earth, and it, it's all, like, non-branded stuff, grand, <laughs> grand off the small or something. <laughs> like, they could make a whole copy set, and then they get away with it, right? But otherwise, we're back to the same problem, except I like Lord of the Rings, and I don't particularly like Walking Dead. Except for one big difference. They're releasing this as a full set, so it's far more likely that it's going to be readily available. 
and not hidden behind a secret layer that you can only get access to for a very, very short, limited amount of time. I think it's going to be more accessible and that makes it more palatable to me as something that people have access to. So it's not just a random cash grab for these cards that are playable, but can't be accessed. You know, that kind of thing bothers me. At the end of the day, if I don't like the cards they're printing, I don't have to play the game. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I like Lord of the Rings, and I think you hit on a, a little bit of a point there where there's going to be some of this back and forth where people are like, I like this property, so I'm okay with them including it in Magic, but I don't know anything about these other properties, so I don't like that. And that doesn't <laughs> yeah. sound fair to me. That's where you kind of yeah, hit no. a gray area where it's like, okay, just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's wrong and the thing you do like is right in this case with, with this sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, I actually am a big 40k fan. I like Warhammer a lot and I'm kind of excited to see how they bring them to the game. Now I will say, I think it's weird not that it's wrong or that i'm upset about it but it's weird that they're it's not even weird that they're doing it it's just weird to me to see sci-fi in magic but i'm gonna have like that's just something they haven't really done much so it feels new and a little strange i'm sure it will feel far less strange in the coming months as they're releasing stuff and that kind of segues us into our next little bit cyberpunk kamigawa they announced the entire range of sets that are coming out for 2022 so we have the whole roster of sets the first one coming in Q1 of 2022 is Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, which we already knew was happening because of those leaks, but we got confirmation about that. And one of the coolest things was that they said, I think, probably as a result of some of the backlash on Strixhaven, maybe, although they would have already printed this set. Like, this set was already done design by the time Strixhaven came out, so I don't know if that actually had anything to do with it or not, or if they revisited things. But they announced that they collaborated with, like, an entire internal and external representation teams, like cultural representation teams. So mm -hmm. it sounds like they're going to really try to do justice with the cultural representation in Kamigawa. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was honestly one of the biggest takeaways about it. Notably, in the last Kamigawa set, wasn't always there. There are some things that looking back that are a little questionable. Some things that you could call stereotypical of, I guess, uh, generic whitewashing Asian culture or kind of a big problem in today's, uh, I guess, we'll go society is that we tend to lump, we, I say, uh, like Western white media specifically, tend to lump Asian countries together, uh, which just does huge disservices. I, I know, uh, I think it was the Disney movie, it was called like Raya or something, Raya and mm -hmm. Last Dragon. It was supposed to be about like a general vibe rather than like a specific country. So it, it kind of like stereotyped multiple countries at once and kind of, it was this like collective attempt at representation rather than a specific one. And it just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I never saw it. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I tried not to, uh, I tried not to give my money to things that are questionable. <laughs> but it sounds like this one, uh, I'll be pretty comfortable giving some money to, uh, or at least drafting a bunch. Yeah, and we saw a little bit of a spoiler on a new Planeswalker. We didn't get any info on what the card does, but we got some art and it looked fantastic. If you're into tiny the whole cyberpunk, tiny cyberpunk raccoon. Yeah. If you're into all the cyberpunk sort of stuff, it seems like it's going to be a fun set. Now, one thing to clear up too, they mentioned that uh, Neon Dynasty takes place 2,000 years after original Kamigawa. But it actually, if you look at the timelines on when sets take place and things, original Kamigawa actually took place in the past. 2,000 years in advance of the original Kamigawa set puts us right in the current storyline with Magic. It, it's hmm. it's actually not jumping ahead in time at all. It just is ahead in time for that plane from that set's perspective. So I was wondering about that, yeah. yeah. Huh. I wonder what it'll be like to have people from that plane interacting with other planes. Specifically, that planeswalker bouncing around to somewhere like Daros or Kaldheim and being like, uh, <laughs> sorry, where are technology? your lasers? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that, that'll be pretty cool. Or even a relatively modern plane. I could probably see, I don't know, like Sahili Rai going to Kamigawa and being like, oh, cool, new tech. Let me just bring this back. Or, or the person from Kamigawa going to uh, Kaladesh and being like, oh, you, you guys got some pretty cool stuff going on here. Uh, nice use of Aether or whatever. I don't know. Uh, the whole like futuristic uh, cyberpunk-esque vibe. I'm totally in for that. Also, cyberpunk memes are always funny. So I'm I'm excited to see how they incorporate some of that. I don't know. I, I want something that harkens to like Blade Runner-esque. Mm -hmm. Like Blade Runner 2049. Uh, we're already getting the color scheme. So we yep. got that going. I, I'm excited. I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, they also mentioned that the, I guess, I don't I don't know what the word they used was, but essentially the ruler of Kamigawa is somebody we already know and we might be surprised about. So that's curious. I, I don't know what that means mm. exactly or who it could be. I don't really have any assumptions about who that might be, but uh, sounds cool. 
Jenga Taxius, maybe? Interesting, interesting. I would like to see them start to back, incorporate the, the Praetors back in, because I'm fairly certain we're going to get those when we get to Dominaria United. But We've had um, one so far, <laughs> which yeah. is a little confusing. That brings us to our next set for Q2 of 2022. They've announced a brand new plane, a new a new set called the Streets of New Capenna, which is focused around wedges. Uh, and more specifically, the assumption, at least, is that it's going to be around shards. I don't know if that's been confirmed, but we haven't seen the like Alara shards in a, quite a while. So, uh, And we did have wedges with Ikoria. So assumption is that we're going to get shards. The plane is focused around these crime family gangsters, basically. Like they're going for like a gangster theme aesthetic, which sounds cool. Uh, we haven't really had anything like that at all in Magic. And that's a cool sort of pop culture era sort of thing that they haven't really touched on, like the noir style thing. I imagine we're going to get noir style altar frames and stuff like that would be pretty cool. Oh, nice. That'll be so sick. Yeah. And they so the only real information we got about the about the plane is a that it's going to be about gangsters. There are crime families so that each of the wedges has a specific crime family associated with it. They each have their own unique mechanic that will be kind of focused around that that family. And the plane was created by angels, apparently. But now the crime families are run by demons. We don't know if it's like all demons running the crime families, but it sounded like that was a blanket statement, like all the crime families are run by demons. Also, Elspeth is interested in the plane in some way, shape, or form, but we don't know how or if she lives there or what's up with Elspeth in that regard. And it kind of has like a steampunky vibe to it. So also very cool. Very excited for New Capenna. It sounds like it's going to be really awesome. Yeah, that's one of the moments I'm most excited for. Honestly, I hate to say it, but as not a magic old head... I'm not as hyped for the ones coming after, which are Dominar, United, and Brothers War. They sound they sound cool. They sound pretty sweet. I'm sure there's going to be lots of old references to things that I have no idea what they mean, and I'll look them up and be like, oh, that's pretty sweet. But these ones, I don't know. I like some new stuff. I'm also hoping to see what Elspeth is up to. She's always been one of my favorite characters, and it looks like we're getting a new Obnixilis, too, who we haven't seen uh, since he was chased off of Zendikar a while ago could totally see him being one of like the crime family bosses or something definitely so we've got like i mentioned dominaria united the brothers war those are two sets coming after and that means we're getting four sets like four main release standard legal sets don't we usually only get three what's up with that no no we typically get four do we how many yeah. did we get last year four huh i could have sworn that was only three but uh whatever never mind i mean I, we're I, getting I, five this year because oh. we had we had kaldheim yeah, strixhaven afr midnight hunt crimson vale huh I guess this is why it feels like so much. I wouldn't mind going down to three, to be honest. I feel like we have enough stuff to talk about. Plus, there's going to be like four other supplemental set releases, some of them nearly full sets, like Commander Legends and whatnot. It's getting kind of hard to keep up with all of this. Yeah, bottom line, there's a lot of product coming out, and it doesn't sound like they're slowing down anytime soon. No. Just like yesterday or today, there are all these Secret Layer announcements. Uh, I gotta shout out Secret Layer Johannes Voss. Voss has always been one of my favorite magic artists. It's just so, just very pretty, serene. If you like um like Your Name or or that type of like anime, you'll probably enjoy the vibe of, of these cards. It has a, a very similar thing going in the art. And the math one, I think it was called Math is for Blockers, which uh, it is a statement we do not necessarily endorse, <laughs> but uh, that one is very sweet if you're a fan of little inside math jokes. In fact, I'm not even entirely sure we've figured them all out because I noticed the moon is present in every single one of the five arts. And I'm wondering if there's a ratio between like the moon's diameter and the diameter of one of the other circles present that reflects the power and toughness of the cards. I don't know. I have to do some measurements (laughs) if I happen to see those cards or buy them. But also we're getting a meandering tower shell promo. So that's always good. Yeah. And so... That was about where they were starting to wrap up, and then they were also like, hey, by the way, MTG Netflix show, and they dropped a little bit of info about the show. It turns out it's basically focused on Gideon, which is interesting. <laughs> Given that he's dead. Yeah, it kind of gives you a little info about when the show takes place as far as the MTG storyline goes. They also mentioned that there's a companion novel coming, like a prelude novel that's supposed to come before they, they release at the same time, but the story comes before what the show is going to cover. And the book kind of covers Gideon meeting Jace for the first time and their budding relationship. And then them ultimately not liking each other. And something happens there, which leads into the show is all we were told. And then we also got uh, the reveal for the voice actor of Gideon in the show. And that is Brand- Brandon Ruth, who plays Ray Palmer in like the Arrowverse series was also on I uh, played Superman in uh, one of the Superman movies. Uh, he's a like a real actor. He's pretty cool. Yeah, that's sweet. Netflix has been kind of killing it with their originals recently, so uh, I trust them to make something good. 
Uh, however, I guess they kind of fumbled the Avatar thing. So we, we've yeah, talking well, about that one. <laughs> well, that does it. I mean, this was a little bit of a longer episode, but there were a lot of announcements to get through. And then, of course, our beloved DCH. So thank you for sticking with us and listening through. We are so glad to have you here. Again, if you're interested in, in talking with us more, all of these different spoilers and announcements and all this stuff going on, jump in the Discord. It's popping off a little bit right now with all this stuff so it's a great place to go to to chat about this stuff the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our twitter page if you want to support us directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod again we're revamping that a bit dch's stickers all sorts of stuff like that so check that out for more info on all of that and if you want to find us outside of the discord you can do so on twitter by finding me at randic alfredian ben at betafish one or the podcast directly at draft chaff pod thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week See you, everybody. Okay, so in addition to the whole Patreon thing, you know, we obviously really appreciate everyone that that's you know given to us and and uh, kind of helped us keep this show afloat. Uh, if you feel encouraged to do so, just go ahead. You can just give it as little as like a, a dollar or two a month, um, or the the higher tiers, which are going to be getting some expansions in the coming weeks. I promise we're not going to funnel it directly into buying secret layers. I, I just wanted to say that right now we're not going to buy secret layers with this product, right? We're not going to buy secret layers with anything that, uh, yeah. Ben, ben, they can't see you winking. Oh, you saw. Oh, it. I wasn't supposed to mention that. Was I? <laughs> no. I, um, so anyway, uh, I've been kind of popping off in the, <laughs> in the, uh, the discord meme chat. Uh, as I've had not one, but two memes uh, recently, uh, I guess, make the front page, uh, so to speak, of the magic meme uh, Reddit page, which I've only just recently started using Reddit. I'm two for two on uh, 600 plus upvote memes. <laughs> so uh, I, I posted a third one a little while ago. I, I don't know if it's getting as much traction, but it's a little, it's a little more niche. I guess we'll see. Uh, I'll link those in the Discord so everyone can bask in the glory. But the one thing that I'm wondering, I posted the same exact things on Twitter and just nothing. Just zero, zero traction at all. So uh, Magic Twitter, you've disappointed me. Uh, Magic Meme Group on Reddit, uh, nice. So I guess if you're listening to this, go follow us on Twitter and, and retweet my terrible memes. So <laughs> yeah, more it's kind of interesting. I guess, I guess, I don't know if Twitter serves you more tweets that get like higher upvotes. Or if you only see stuff that your feed, like people that you follow, upvote or I mean, um, uh, like or retweet, right? Like you never really notice a, a a tweet that says like you know somebody you're following upvoted this or liked it or whatever. You only ever see retweeted or commented. So mm-hmm. that's probably something to do with it because Reddit really revolves around the upvotes, and that's so much less effort than like a retweet or a comment. Yeah. So hmm. now we know. Anyway, go uh, go rep my memes. <laughs> <laughs>